So four and a half years ago, I find myself in a hospital room with my wife asking her permission to do something that I never thought that I would ask permission to do. I said, Becky, can I please change his diaper? I was asking her if I could change my newborn baby's diaper, and she never thought I'd ask that. I never thought I'd ask that. We celebrate things like the baby's first laugh, the baby's first step, baby's first word, but celebrating baby's first diaper. I mean, I was, I was excited about that. It was, it was a privilege that I was itching to participate in. I can't say that I still do, but uh, I, I, was, I was very excited about that then, and I was, I was ready to uh, get down to business. And, and here's the deal. God wants us to come to the place where doing selfless, humble, bottom-of-the-rung tasks are joys for us. God wants to bring you to the place where when you do selfless, humble things, it's a joy for you. And, and diaper changing, unbelievable. I, I wasn't writing papers about this, you know, in fourth grade saying, when I grow up, I want to, to change a lot of diapers, but that's where I'm at, I guess. And it's kind of gross, kind of smelly, kind of time-consuming. I mean, it took me half an hour to, you know, control these squirmy legs, but uh, I'm telling you, it was, it was a privilege. And and you would have thought, you would have thought that, uh, that it would be something that I would run from. But I was loving, I was loving every second of it. I really was. And uh, it's inexplainable, pure love and, and, and joy, actually. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Scripture says of, of Jesus, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You think about that. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Talk about true True humility, true selflessness, true pain, true shame, true sacrifice, but done for joy. And it was done, why? Because he was doing it for his children. And and I wouldn't change your child's diaper. You wouldn't change my child's diaper. But we do things like this for our, our children. And he served us to the extreme and he served to the point of death. And today we're called... To, to Christ-likeness. We're called to live a life where we follow the example of Jesus and to see people for who they are and to see them that they are people who are dearly loved by God. They're people who are dearly loved children of God. And so I pray that God would give us all eyes to see people as children of God. And these are the eyes that we must have. And so I just pray, God, again, would you give us these eyes as we look at your word this morning. this morning, I'm excited to share from Scripture to us all a call that really runs deep in our veins as a, as a new church here in West Boston. It's a call that is and will continue to be a part of our DNA as a church, and that call is the call to serve, the call to, to service with joy in our hearts. And as we study serving this morning, here's where we need to start. We need to start with the question of greatness. Let's start with the question of, of greatness. Maybe first words that start popping in your mind when you think about the question of greatness. Words like prominence. Words like leadership. Words like power. Words like dominance. Words like success. Those types of things come into our mind when we think about greatness. And as we start by looking at, at greatness this morning and asking what greatness is, I think we'll see perhaps a different picture. So our scripture for today, Matthew chapter twenty. Verse 20, we'll read 20 and 21 for starters here. 
It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in the kingdom. We'll stop there. Do you see the question that the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who are James and John, asked Jesus? She kneels before Jesus, so clearly she sees Jesus as the Lord, as God. But do we see the question that, that she asked him? Her question is, Jesus, would you arrange it so that in your kingdom, my two sons could sit one at your right hand and one at your left. Now, it's important for us to know a little bit of, of where they're at. At this point in the ministry of Jesus, the disciples still had this understanding, this idea that the kingdom of God would be this earthly, literal kingdom where, where, where Jesus would come in, he would, he would reign as king. And they were thinking he was going to come in in a few short weeks, months, days, years, and, and, and perhaps sometime in the near future, he was going to come in and he was going to whip up on Rome, who was dominating the world scene at this time. And so this mother's question to Jesus is a political move. It's a political move to Jesus for her sons, trying to ensure for her sons like a, a seat at the presidential cabinet. And so this political move really stems from a larger discussion that had been going on among the disciples for several chapters. Back in Matthew chapter 18, they asked Jesus, they say, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what does Jesus do? Some of you maybe know the story. He calls a little child to himself. With the child by his side, he says, whoever humbles himself like this little child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 19, the, the next chapter, Jesus is found advocating for children again as, as children are coming and parents are sending their children over towards Jesus. And as they, they send their, their children to Jesus, the disciples say, no, 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 Jesus is too busy. He's too important. Let's get the children away. And Jesus says, no, no, let the children come to me. How about in the second half of, of Matthew chapter 19, he tells a wealthy young man, he says, your stuff, your greatness is not found in your stuff. It will not buy you your greatness. Instead, a few verses later in Matthew chapter 19, he tells his disciples that those who have denied worldly things for his sake will receive a hundredfold in eternity. And then he goes on, Matthew chapter, chapter 19, verse 30, Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, he also says, many who are the first will be last, and the last will be First. And so we see what Jesus has been doing in this discussion at large leading up to this point is he has been flipping upside down the world's measure of greatness, just turning it all upside down. And yet, despite the teaching of Jesus for some time now on true greatness, this mother comes up to Jesus and she says, hey, Jesus, can you hook my sons up with power? Can you hook my sons up with prestige? Can you hook my sons up with greatness in your kingdom. You see, it just wasn't clicking yet. And maybe for some of us, it still hasn't clicked yet that this isn't greatness in the eyes of, of the Lord. Greatness isn't found in, in self-promotion. We know from, from other scriptures that this mother is, is the, uh, the mother of James and John, who is likely Salome, and, and she is the sister of Jesus' mother, Mary. So now we know that James and John are Jesus's cousins. So we get a little more insight into this political move here, that they are, are cousins of, of Jesus. And, and so this request for political position is based on, hey, maybe this guy who's related to us can give us 
the inside track based on our, our family status. We read later on in, in just a few minutes in verse 24 that knowing that they were the cousins and, and this move that they were doing, verse 24 says that the, the other disciples become indignant at this. They're upset. Why are they upset? They're upset because these guys are getting the chance to get the power that they wanted. And so it's all around the disciples. They're all struggling with what true greatness really is. And now they're upset. For some time Jesus has been teaching greatness is not the world standard of greatness, not in my kingdom. Self-seeking, self-promotion, self-interest doesn't equal greatness in, in my kingdom. We seek greatness through a, another means. And so let's read on. Verse 22. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. We'll stop there for a second. This word you in, in the Greek is a plural pronoun. So he's not only talking to the mother. He's not only talking to Salome. Now he's also talking to her and to her, her two sons who have put their mom up to coming to Jesus. And so he addresses all three and he says, you don't know what you're asking. Now let's read on 23 through 27. You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant. See, he is humbling himself here. It's not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been appointed and been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever is to be first among you must be your slave. So again, what has Jesus done? Jesus has shattered, completely shattered the world's standard of greatness. And first, here's what he does. He declares to James and John that they will not be great by the world standards. You're not going to be great by the world standards. He knows their future, so he points out their future, and look what he says. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And the cup in Scripture always refers to eternal God-ordained destiny. So Jesus says, are you able to drink my cup? And, and what was Jesus' cup? We know that Jesus' cup was his death upon the cross, and they respond, we're able. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're able. And he says, you will drink my cup. So he agrees. He's pointing out their future. You will drink my cup. Acts chapter 12, verse 2, Herod kills James for his faith. So James does go on. Like Christ, he dies for his faith. In Revelation, it tells us that John endures persecution, and then he endures exile to an island for criminals for his faith. So by the world's standards, they're not going to end up so great. And Jesus says, I'm going to point that out. He points that out by the world's standards. You're not going to be so great. You're going to drink a cup similar to the cup that I am to drink. So first, Jesus establishes you're not going to be great among them. And listen, if it's true for the disciples, and if it's true for Christ, then we need to be okay that that may be true for us too. So that we're not to consume ourselves with striving for greatness in the eyes of the world. So he says, you're not going to be great among them. We need to be okay with that. The second truth here that we, we see Jesus establishing is, is this. He establishes that though you're not going to be great among them, know this. Their greatness, it's not so great. 
Their greatness is, is, is not so great. You're not going to be great like them, but their greatness is, is not so great. Have you, ever, have you ever seen someone who's trying to impress another only to find out that the things they were using to try to impress that person, in fact, in the end, didn't impress them at all? You ever seen that? So this happens all the time in job interviews, right? People will sit before the, the person doing the interviewing and they'll say, I am, I am really independent. I mean, you won't even have to keep your eye on me. I work hard. I'm independent. I can get things done all by myself. And then the interviewer says, well, yeah, I'm really looking for a team player. Oh, yeah, I'm a team player. I work with people. And so, so oftentimes people, people try to impress, but then they find out in the end that what they were using to impress that person, in fact, doesn't impress that person. How about first dates? This happens a lot. A guy will come in, and he thinks the girl's artsy, right? And so he reads his poetry. He gets ready. He puts his beret on the side of his head. He comes in. They meet at Starbucks. He orders not just a coffee black this time, but he orders some kind of chai tea latte, butternut pumpkin squash, whatever. And, and he gets in. He tries to, tries to look all artsy, and he sits in front of her, and he starts to talk about the poetry he's been reading, and he just feels prepared and ready. And she says, yeah, I don't even like coffee. Why are we at Starbucks? Let's go watch some football. Football? I love football. I hate poetry. This happens all the time that we try to impress people with things that we think will impress them only to find out in the end that it didn't in fact impress them. In the same way, their world standard of greatness came from self-seeking. It came from, it says, lording authority over people, from self-seeking, from personal promotion, dominance, power plays, only to find out from Jesus that that's not greatness in his eyes. That's not greatness in his kingdom. So much so that in, in verse 26, I love this, he says, it shall not be so among us. I, I just picture this is like a halftime, right? This is, this is a, a big point in the ministry of Jesus, and this is like, like halftime of a football game. And the coach is in the locker room with the players, and the other team have been playing dirty. And the coach says, we're not going to play like that. We're not going to play like that that it shall not be so among us. And Jesus is saying through the scriptures to all of us, but specifically to them then, he says, we're not going to play like that. Charles River Church, we've got to know as we establish the future of this church, we are not going to live like that. Self-seeking, self-promoting, glory for ourselves. Rather, we're going to live to serve and we are here to serve. He goes on to say, verse 27, do you want to be great? He says, if you want to be great, then serve. Then be a servant. Then be like a slave. Chain yourself to other people where I feel obligated to serve you. I feel obligated to help you. I feel obligated to minister to you. Chain yourself to other people. And so he establishes that the world says financial success, wealth, approval, power, that's greatness. But we're not going to play like that. Those things, they're, they're not wrong in and of themselves, but striving for those things is. Some people, God does grant success in the business world. Some people, God does grant wealth. Some people, God does grant power. But we're not to strive for those. We're not going to play like that. So please, please hear this today, that the pathway to greatness is humility. I think we all want to, to live lives of greatness. I think we all want our lives to have impact, an eternal impact, true meaning, something that will last. And the pathway to greatness is humility. At the greatest, greatest sense, the greatest core, humility is accepting that God is, is God 
and that we're not God. And when we have an appropriate view of God, then we have an appropriate view of self and we have an appropriate view of other people and we can then begin to move towards, towards greatness and doing what he calls us to do and that is investing ourselves in him and investing ourselves in other people and letting us exalt or letting us be exalted by him in his, his time. Just a couple chapters later in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, listen to, to what Jesus says. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see that? This is a, an ongoing conversation that it takes a while to really get into their heads. And I think it takes a while for us to really get this into our head, for us to really internalize this, that whoever exalts himself says, I'll handle my exaltation, will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself and allows God to do exaltation in the end, will be exalted. And I'd much rather let God do the exaltation. I think about our culture all the time. There's that new Facebook movie out, right? The Social Network. And it's one of those movies that, man, it it just really explains a lot about our culture and and where we're at today in light of Facebook. But you think about Facebook and, 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 and this all about personal exaltation, isn't it? It's all about personal exaltation. I call it image management, right? You can go on Facebook and you can determine who you are and who you want people to think that you are. And so I could easily this afternoon go home and get on my computer and join the group for guys who bench press 400 pounds or more, right? And the people would be like, wow, wow, that's incredible. And you can, you can manage your, your image, but we're not to manage our image. We're to serve and consume ourselves with loving God and loving people and serve and in the proper time, he will do the exaltation, whether it's on this side of the grade or not, we serve, we let him handle the exaltation. And, and, and this, this plays out in, in so many areas of our lives. So many areas of our lives, we, 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 we try to exalt ourselves. For some, it might be aggressively fighting their way up the, the corporate ladder at the expense of humble servant living. For, for others, it might be trying to find ways to, in your social uh, circles, trying to find ways to promote yourself at the expense of selfless, humble, servant living. For some, even children, even adults, it, it, it might take place in the family where, where people try to exalt themselves before their, their parents trying to get what they want out of mom and dad at the expense of humble, servant living. It happens Unfortunately, in relationships all the time, where men will pressure women to get what they want at the expense of not serving a lady as a man should do. And you see how this plays out in so many areas of our lives. We self-seek, we self-promote, we self-exalt, we try to go for what we want. And what we're doing is we're not serving others. In fact, we're oppressing others and we are to be servants very clear and it leads to lasting greatness greatness that may or may not be rewarded on this side of the grave but greatness in the end that will be exalted in its proper time and leads to pure joy it leads to pure joy god's rewards should not be our drive but god's rewards are real they're a reality we shouldn't be seeking god's rewards but they're a reality we should be seeking to serve people for the glory of God and to serve people for people. 
What's great about all this, I think, is that it lets us know that the things that are unseen, in fact, were seen by the one who sees all. Think about that in your life. The things that are unseen are, in fact, seen by the one who has seen all. And so what it does is it allows us to know that the things that we maybe felt like don't count, they count. Maybe, maybe for a mother who's at home with her children and she's humbly changing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of diapers, right? Diapers buy you nothing when you sit before an interview or at a job interview, right? It buys you nothing. How many diapers have you changed? But it's greatness in the eyes of the kingdom of, of God. You've heard of the, the phrase, the, the bull in the china shop? My wife, I, I feel like this is my house, right? And she's the one constantly trying to clean up the, the china shop because I have two little boys, two and a half and, and four and a half. And, and when they go to, to nap, you know, in the in mid-afternoon, she'll then go around the house and clean up the house, straighten things up. But our house is old, and so when they wake up, they come to the door and they can't open the door. And I kind of picture it like that gate at a rodeo. You ever been to a rodeo? And the bulls are in there and just itching. They're like, let me out of here. And so my wife will open the door and she'll crack the door and boom, they come and our house is, everything just gets scattered and it's crazy. And I know that my wife feels like she's constantly walking around, running around our house all day, just cleaning up the the china shop. And I want to tell her and I tell her often, I said, you know what? It counts. It counts. Nobody sees it, but it counts. Mothers, be encouraged by that. Fathers, you need to to be encouraged by, I know you come home and I know you're exhausted, but when you say, I'm going to pour into my kids today, I'm going to not come home and turn it off before the TV, but I'm going to turn it on and I'm going to come and I'm going to serve my children and my wife well. Nobody else sees that. It buys you nothing at work where you're going to be exhausted the next day, but you know what? It counts. It counts. It's valid. It's valid in the eyes of the Lord. I know some of you, I've talked to several of you who work with the disabled. Not a very lucrative business, but it counts. It counts. It's humble and it can lead to greatness. Some of you work behind the scenes here on Sunday mornings. This morning, people got here two hours early setting this place up, setting the children up. There's ladies in there now working with the kids. Some people sit behind computers for the church and work on Excel spreadsheets. Nobody sees that. You don't get a pat on the back like I get often after a sermon. But it counts. When you serve it, it it counts. It counts. And on and on and on, humble service leads to greatness. And that's encouraging to know that God who sees all sees. And it counts and it matters and it serves as our worship to him. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to leave this morning with more than just this truth on our minds that God calls us to serve. But I want us to leave with application. So let your mind now start to go to thinking about how and where and who can I humbly serve. Know that you can serve with your hands. Know that you can serve with your time. Know that you can serve with your skill. Know that you can serve with with listening ears. Know that you can serve with your wallet. Know that you can serve with your words. But serve and start to think, today, how can I put this into motion How can I apply this? And every day, start thinking. Every day, be praying. God, how can I today make somebody's life better? Don't expect these opportunities to fall on your lap, but we have to leave today looking for them. And as we look for them and we engage in one, you find the joy in it, you find the truth in it, you find the the power in it, the effect, the impact in it, and it leads to another. 
and then another, and then it becomes this regular habit of your life where you have the eyes of Christ who remember when Christ walks into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, and he walks in, and he has tears in his eyes, and it says he's just weeping for the city where you can see people and you can see their needs and you can have tears, maybe physically, maybe just in your heart. You have compassion. And you say, I want to serve. I want to serve. So be looking for these opportunities. As a church, we will be constantly asking, how can we add value to this community? That's a question that we're going to constantly ask. How can we add value to this community? But in order for these questions to be on our hearts, in order for these questions to constantly be asked by us, we must stop being so self-centered, which means we must repent, which means we must confess, we must come before the Lord and say, God, I have been selfish. God, I, I, I confess to you that I've been consumed with me, with, with number one. First Peter 5, 5 says, clothe yourself with humility. So we need to be clothed with humility. We need God to grant us humility, and when you pray for it, God will give it. Never Never have I asked God for humility, and he hasn't given, given it to me. He has humbled me, humbled me, humbled me in so many different ways, and he wants to humble you. Think back with me for a minute through the, the men and women in Scripture that God points to for their faith. Think about Abraham. Abraham humbly approaches the Lord in, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 27. He says, Behold, now I have taken to speak unto the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. So he has this awareness of who he is, and he's humbly talking to the Lord. Think about Joseph. Some of you know the life of Joseph, who was humbly sold into slavery by his brothers. He lived for years apart from his family. Can you um, imagine? Years. But yet he humbly forgives his, his brothers with tears in his eyes, the forgiveness of his enemies. There's, there's humility. Think about Moses, who humbly, humbly refused to be called the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Rather, said, I will go and I will be mistreated with the people of God. It's a quote from Scripture. He could have lived in power, but he said, I'll be mistreated with the people of God. Think about this lady, Rahab, who humbly puts her life in danger to protect God's spies in, in Jericho. Think about, about Gideon, who is... This, this man who realizes humbly that, that he's of a poor family, of, of Manasseh, the least of his father's house, and yet he was used of God to deliver God's people. True humility. Think about David, who writes some of the most humble psalms, songs in the Bible. He's a humble man. And, and catch this, these are some of the most humble moments of the Bible. Where did I get all these names from? Went down in order through. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 where the great men and women of faith, the great men and women of God in the scripture are listed. God's heroes. And so let it be clear, in the Bible, greatness is found in and through humility. Let it be clear. Greatness comes from humility. These men and women of God were humble and yet they're listed as the great heroes of of the faith. Let's read verse 28, our last verse this morning. Jesus says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Catch this. If you want to be great, and I think we do, if you want to be great, we are to look at the great example. 
we're to look at the greatness example. And what was his example? It says, I did not come to be served, but I came to, to serve. He didn't come to be served. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, when, when Paul is standing before the Areopagus, all these great thinkers, what does he say? He says, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. So God doesn't need anything. So of course he doesn't come to, to be served. So why did he come? He came to serve. He came to help. And the challenge today is for us to adopt the heart of Christ. The challenge for us today is to ex- adopt the example of, of, of Christ, to serve others and, and to not hold back. And, and, and the importance of Christian serving is, is often preached in churches, but very seldom put in, into practice. And I think the reason it's not put into practice is because we leave the doors and we go back to a culture that says, I am number one. I am the center of the world. I live for me. You live for me. I'm not going to live for you. You want me to live for you? And we, we just have a confused world. But if we will all focus on the Lord, then clarity starts to come. And the best way to combat this confusion is looking at Jesus. I think time and time again, we drift. We drift. We drift. And the scriptures clearly say you need to look at Jesus. You need to come back to him. He refocuses you. He restores you. He reminds you. He, he renews you. Look to Jesus. Serving people, as we look in the scriptures, as we even see here, all over the gospel accounts, was at the core of who Jesus was. And so therefore, we're to look to him and we're to, to say, what was his example? What was the life that, that he lived? What was he consuming himself with? And what was at his core starts to become at our core. And so as a church at our core, we will be a people who are here to serve, focused on Christ. And the key is, is looking at Jesus. He was our great example. So if you want to be great, look at the great example. But verse 28 didn't stop there, did it? It goes on and it says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the greatest example, the greatest way in which Jesus served was by the giving of his life. He gave his life. And I think his life is is best remembered by his outstretched arms on, on the cross. And as you think on the cross, think of this perfect example of humility, of, of a man who dies for others. Think of that, but also think of it not just as your example, but think of it as your exchange. The word used here is, is ransom. In the Greek, it's this word lutron, which means the price for a slave. It was lutron, was the price for a slave. It's this idea of exchanging for someone else's life. Jesus' payment, his death on the cross, was the exchange for our lives. Theologians call this the great exchange. The great exchange where Jesus says, it's, it's my life for your life. My death in place of your death. My victory in place of your inability to be victorious over Satan and sin and death. And he gives that to you. And he says, I want to engage in this great exchange for you if you would put faith in that. You would put faith in my work on the cross and not your work. And so that's what he calls us to today. To look to his example of service and to trust in his exchange for our sin, for our lives of imperfection. And turning from the one who is the giver of life, God, the natural result of that is death. The Bible makes it very clear that all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and that the result of our sin 
is death. It's no doubt that we're a broken culture. It's no doubt that our physical bodies are wasting away as we grow older. Our physical bodies waste away, but so do our souls. We're dying. We're dying. And Jesus says, I want to restore that. I've exchanged my life for your life. And so he is our example, and he is our exchange. And so this morning as we close, I want to invite Christians in this room to repent before the Lord and say, God, I'm so sorry. God, I confess to you that I have sinned and have lived a life focused on me and consumed myself with me and not with you and not with others. And then for others in this room, I would encourage you today to say, Jesus, I put my faith in the exchange of your life for mine. I trust in that. I trust in your work on the cross and not my work. Can we close our eyes?